everybody. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast, Episode 1. I'm Brian Beasley, and with us is my partner, Dan Albert. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Brian. If you don't know anything about us, um, I've been a financial advisor since 1994. I own a company called Athena Private Wealth with my two partners, Dan and our other partner, Tom Stesich. We are a registered investment advisor, a fiduciary firm, and we do financial planning and investing for individuals and we also consult with CPAs to help them bring more proactive value to their clients. I'm Dan Alberth and my career started in 1992. I'm a certified financial planner. I've worked at life insurance companies and high net worth advisory firms. In 2011 you and I hooked up. Uh, We set up this firm and here we are. So what did we put this together for well we've been thinking a lot about these things over our, our careers and, and, and uh, I'll just try to address some of what's inspired this podcast to come to light we live in the most advanced financial system in the world and even the disastrous collapse of the housing and financial system in 2008 that could have far exceeded the Great Depression but somehow we avoided that catastrophe, or at least it was delayed. And the stock market went on to new highs, peaking recently more than four times its low in 2009. The distant view of financial data says everything is pretty good in spite of COVID-19. But we still have problems. 70 years ago, my father's generation pretty much went to work and raised their families. They didn't generally have to worry about funding a 30-year retirement. Their employers handled all that for them. Their employers, GMAC in my grandfather's case, put money into pension plans. Teams of advanced mathematicians or actuaries determined how much GM needed to add to their plan each year in order to make those promises come true. They even had professional investors, teams of them, that made investing decisions on those those pension plans for thousands or millions of workers across the country. Their responsibility to make sure that the promises of the future came true for those workers. They had actuaries, investment managers, executives who hired them, or oftentimes a union did a lot of that. Those people were responsible for guarding the promises made to those employees for making sure the promises were real. They were fiduciaries. Their task was to act solely in the best interest of those employees, to look out for them. Many employers succeeded in their role for more than a generation. Most retirees with those pensions had fixed incomes, but their incomes continued as promised. Even after GM declared bankruptcy in 2009, my grandmother kept receiving my late grandfather's pension until she passed away years later. Today, though, most workers, especially in the private sector, do not have pensions that guarantee their income during retirement. There are no teams of actuaries or investment managers making sure their income is sound. Most employees have defined contribution plans. All that's known is how much money is going in. There is no guarantee. The average employee is now responsible for all of it. 
figuring out how much are they going to need? How much will they need to save from each paycheck? And furthermore, how will they invest their money this year and the year after that and the year after that? And even in their senior years, how will they invest that money to make their promise of financial freedom come true? When it comes to their finances, most Americans aren't equipped for even these basics. Then there's health insurance, life insurance, disability, long-term care. When it comes to understanding and being able to execute all these things successfully, there's a gap in this country. It can be confusing, overwhelming. Many of you probably feel very comfortable doing this all on your own. In fact, only about 25% of Americans say they seek out professional advice. And we probably won't change those numbers with this podcast. But hopefully we can make things just a little bit easier for people. So in this podcast, we'll be talking about personal finance, planning, and investing. And we recognize that these topics aren't everybody's favorite thing. To a lot of folks, it's a lot like going to the dentist. It's something to be put off and procrastinated on. But the truth is it doesn't need to be painful. And in fact, going through the process of learning about these things and focusing on solving these problems or these these questions and getting to the heart of the matter and then implementing those plans, you feel a ton better on the other side. You don't feel worse. Furthermore, it's actually necessary for most people these days. So, you know, at its core, this podcast, it, Dan is, it, you know, we've been talking about this, and it's it's really going to be about helping people make better decisions, whether they're doing things on their own or whether they're working with an advisor, and uh, you know, as our our goal is to really help provide hopefully some knowledge and perspective so those people can make better decisions and also shine a light on some real financial professionals, attorneys, CPAs, financial advisors, other people to give people enough information that they can actually, if they choose to work with a professional, maybe they can ask some better questions and get the most out of those. And, and uh, you know, hopefully we can add some value. Yeah. And from my, my perspective, I guess, putting my words to it, I feel like I'm doing this to share ideas and, you know, let people take advantage of our experiences. We've been doing this for a long time. And uh, like you said, uh, many people feel this whole conversation is like going to the dentist. Uh, I enjoy the conversation. I like numbers. And so I'm a little, uh, I'm different from the average person. And so are you. (laughs) Um, you know, maybe these folks can learn from our life lessons here. And I'm really looking forward to trying to put our thoughts into this podcast and and share so that, um, you know, we can help folks get their financial situations squared away. So, I mean, when, when we, when we see that process happen face to face with, with folks and they go from, completely disorganized to having very specific knowledge and understanding. They know exactly what they need to do. They know exactly what they're doing. They have a plan A, they have a plan B when, when they, their risks are covered in case of those horrible things that happen in life. Sometimes um, the change in people is, is just really a, a positive thing generally when, when people are able to go through that. And it's a remarkable how often when someone puts pencil to paper, 
how things oftentimes will work out. You know, there's sometimes there's a fear there that, you know, I don't want to deal with this issue because I'm afraid of what I might find. Yeah, right, in, right. In the right. math. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is most people have the ability to, to, uh, to, to reach that financial goal, whatever they may have. And if you catch these things early enough and deal with these issues, um, boy, you give yourself a lot of power to make a difference. Right, right. So for the young people, you know, just starting out, if you're able to instill some discipline and have a better understanding of your financial situation, understand your income and your expenses, from the very beginning, you can put yourself on a good, safe foundation where uh, you're not overspending and you understand how to live within your means and... Uh, it's, I'm, I'm a little nervous on this first podcast, but uh, I'm very excited. Uh, this whole first, this week here, it's been fun getting up every morning. I've gotten up with a purpose to get to work. And so I'm looking forward to sharing our, our ideas and thoughts. Yeah, it'd be great to be able to uh, hopefully uh, take what we do on a day-to-day basis and, and spread it to more people. That's right. And, and, so, and that's, that's, that's hopefully going to be uh, very, very satisfying. Um, you know, you and you and I really teamed up. You know, like you said, you know, uh, about nine years ago, and you know, initially we were part of of, of a group of people all kind of doing their own thing, and uh, and then in the last seven years, when we put everything together uh, and, and and really started to team up, um, we began much, working much much more closely together, and, mm-hmm. and and to the point where now, you know, you and I are basically working as a two headed monster working with uh, each and every relationship uh, jointly. And, and, and rather than, than, than being a commercial for us, the, the, the reason I bring that up is, is that teaming up is a challenge. Yes, it is, Brian. <laughs> we, we are, uh, you know, we, we found that we're very, very different and there's been tremendous value in that. But, but getting us on the same page of music and, and making sure that when we're working together, we're, we're aligned, we had to have a lot of, you know, hours and hours and hours of just one-on-one deep discussions to find that common ground of what's the right way to do things. What are some things that are universal? What are some principles that we both completely um, find to be true mm-hmm. and, um, and, and what are some guidelines that we can use to explain some of these concepts better to give people a basis for making better decisions and, uh, and we've identified eight so far we may continue to find some, some things there and uh, you know we're not uh, in, in no specific I guess order or priority or um, maybe we can go through those eight today on this podcast briefly and uh, and give people kind of a preview of the kinds of concepts that we'll be covering in future episodes yeah and these are guidelines they're not rules that people have to follow but these are things that we've picked up over the years uh, that have really helped us to communicate with our clients and help us help clients develop their own financial plans and implement solutions and improve their situations. So uh, 
so the do-it-yourselfers out there, hopefully when you're developing your own financial plan, you know, consider following these eight guidelines. So let me jump in with the first one. The first guideline is know yourself. Simple enough. Simple, uh, not easy. No, that's right. So yeah, this is this is probably the one where people procrastinate the least, and it's also probably the thing that stands to be the most beneficial and saves people the most time, the most uh, money in the long run, is if you know yourself really, really well on the front end of any financial decision. And um, I mean, it, we'll, we'll go into it a little bit. We're going to have an entire podcast on this episode, but or on this topic rather. But basically, when you're looking at any financial planning decision, whether you're looking at um, refinancing a mortgage or whether you're doing a comprehensive financial plan or whether you're picking your investment uh, policy and, and figuring out how you're going to do that, you really need to know where are you now? You really need to know where are you going? What's the objective? What's the goal? And, and that involves math. And it's not simple math all the time. I'm sorry. It just, it just, that's why no. That's why people generally don't do it. Math is not it's always no fun. fun. You need to know what's going on, you, and you know, just from an overall standpoint, you need to know what you have. You need to know your assets, your liabilities, right. your income, your expenses, all, all that. You need to know all those things, mm -hmm. and more, you know, even more detailed than that. You need to know what you own, whose name is it in, what type of thing is that, you know. I just had a conversation, um, and a little off topic, but this, I had a conversation with a gentleman earlier in the week, and he had a trust for the last you know, several years in place. He had had a lawyer draft a trust document, and then he was done. And then he found out that you have to actually take your house and put it in the name of that trust. So he just went to the lawyer, had the trust document drafted. Right. He signed the trust, and then he went home and put the trust in the drawer. And nothing was ever put in the name of the trust. So uh -huh. it was basically an expensive piece of paper in his drawer until it was done. So he finally got that taken care of this week. And, um, you know, that's the kind of thing. You need to know what's going on in your world financially, and, and you need to put a number on it. You need to know how much money's coming in, and where does your money go? Are you spending your money on purpose, or are you spending in whatever's in the checking account. Oh, look, there's enough money in the checking account. Let's go do that thing. Let's buy that shiny thing. Let's take that that cool trip. Let's be extravagant with that trip because there's enough money in the checking and savings account. Why not? But have you considered all your other long-term goals, that kind of thing? So if you're not funding those things, that can become an issue. So you really need to know what do you have? Where are you going? What's, what's the number on your retirement? What's the number on that education goal? What's the number on that risk you're trying to mitigate? When you yeah. say, that, what's the number? How much do you need to save to get there? Or if you're trying to save for retirement, you need to know how much money it's going to take to live the lifestyle you want. Yeah. And knowing that number, then you can try to figure out how to save so that you can have and, the money to get there. Yeah, and it can be challenging because there's a lot of variables there. And that's where this becomes a project. And that's, you know, it's important. And uh, it's it's just, it's a real tragedy that, that that people have so many of these responsibilities sad, that they're saddled with and that they're not always as simple as everyone would like them to be, but it's the world we live in. Yeah. So 
these two pieces of the know yourself that's kind of like your fact check make sure you you have to understand the facts but there's a little bit more to it when you talk about preferences and understanding those things about you there's an emotional component those to all these things that are unique to you that have nothing to do with math is what right and i guess i'm talking about risk your risk tolerance if you're trying to invest money to save for a goal, you need to understand how much risk you can tolerate with your investments. Can you sleep at night knowing that your investments are invested the way they are? Right. For a lot of beginners, they may get in and get lucky where as they begin to invest money, maybe everything that they invested in has been going up, up, up for quite a long time. And um, usually... When you're thrilled with the results, that usually means that there there's the potential that something uh, uh, unsatisfactory may may arrive at one point. And we saw we've seen this happen over in various times in history where we've had the dot com situation where everybody was very excited and things blew up, and uh, things dropped significantly back in the early 2000s, and then uh, again in 2000. Seven late 2007 through early 2009, we had a huge financial crisis where, again, stock markets just got crushed. And then again here in 2020 with uh, the recent uh, events related to COVID-19 and then also uh, an, uh, a war over oil prices overseas that really uh, shook the markets significantly. And um, if people aren't comfortable with those kinds of declines that can occur, um, oftentimes they can make very bad decisions. So re- you really need to not only understand your goals and all the math of how to get there, but you need to understand what's your emotional limit of what you can take, at least specifically related to investing. Um, but there's also other preferences that may be unique to, to various people. I mean, some people have philosophies on how they want to cover risks that maybe they could buy, they could cover those risks with insurance. And some people have philosophies about that. They may say, hey, I want to have as much insurance as I can. Some people may have preferences that say, hey, uh, I want to have certain insurance but not other insurance. Um, people have preferences to live for the live in the now. Sure, and, sure. You know, if they live long enough, they'll be frugal when they live and they're okay with that. Other people are, um, there's, a, there's a movement called the, the, uh, the FIRE movement, the uh, uh, be, be super frugal and retire early. Okay. Um, type of thing where uh, you're living like really, really lean, but you're saving all your money. And that's another preference. That's another uh, life choice. Sure. I guess those things need to be, you need to be aware of all those things uh, on the front end before you get started with any of these planning decisions. Sure. And part of it, uh, just one last thing, but then we can move on is that I was thinking about as you were talking, be honest with yourself. So uh, the know yourself aspect, uh, sometimes Uh, we encounter folks who have investments that they've held forever, that they've inherited stocks from their parents or grandparents, or their parent worked at Ford Motor Company, and so they continue to hold and own Ford stock in memory of their parents. Uh, Not to say that's bad or good, it's just to have an understanding that you're doing this and that that is your preference and you've got this um, this bias I guess mm-hmm. that I want to hold the stock I don't want to sell it and it's emotional and understanding that emotion I guess is kind of what I wanted to say yeah and like you said that's not a good or bad thing it's just that being aware of that allows you to take that 
situation into account as you look at things like what are my assumed expected returns? What are the risks of my portfolio? Um, you know, we've, we've had that where we have, um, you know, clients for all kinds of reasons have um, an individual position or an individual investment that, it, that, um, that they really love and they want to hold on to. Sometimes it's because they just believe in that business and they want to own some of that stock. And sometimes it's because, like you said, it's, there's some family emotional uh, attachment there and they really, uh, they really want to hold it. And as long as that you're aware of that when you're doing your planning, um, you can work around it typically. Um, there are situations obviously where you would, if you have 100% of your money in something like I'm going to, I'm going to pick on Tesla for a second. So Tesla motor stock is a highly volatile stock. Historically, it bounces all over the place. It's, and a lot of it's because it's a growing company and a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, perceived potential there probably, and also some perceived risks as well. And if someone were to have, uh, you imagine somebody that's 70 years old and they have 100% of their money in Tesla motor stock. And then you find out that they have a very, very low tolerance for volatility. Um, those situations are at odds with one another. Right. You, you can't, you can't have, I'll uh, use a cliche. You can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> That's right. So if in those situations, you just need to be aware of it, but most of the time it's no big deal, but you're right. The, the, all kinds of those preferences and limitations, you need to be aware of those. And if you're working with a professional, you need to make sure you communicate those to your professional because they may not even think to ask those questions, but it's, it is something that is very real. So the first guideline, know yourself, know, know yourself, where you are, where you're going and understand your preferences second guideline live, live within your means. means yeah so this one is pretty basic i tell you what um most people if you talk to me said hey should you live within your means or should you not <laughs> they're gonna all everybody knows the right answer for sure and you know it, it can you know at its basic level most people understand hey you should spend less than you earn most people have no choice in the matter um, but in, in our financial system, there is a thing called debt. There's these wonderful envelopes that come credit cards, credit cards. Hey, you know, we can give you free money or, or money now and you can pay us later. And there's a real temptation with that. And, um, certainly there's lots of, um, there's lots of discussion all over the world about, about debt and how to, how to get out of debt. There's podcasts that specialize in helping people that are in debt, get out of debt. And that's a big piece of live within your means. And I, I think we've learned that there's an, actually another layer to that. You obviously should be spending less than what you bring in, but in the long run, it's still possible to stay debt free and spend less than is coming in. And yet you're still living above your means. What do I mean by that? Let's say you're bringing in a uh, hundred dollars and you're spending a hundred dollars. You're debt free. You're living within your means, right? So what could go wrong? Well, you're spending all your money for the moment and you don't have any thought for the future is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. You're, you're, you need, if you know yourself, and if you know your long-term goals, retirement, funding, education, whatever, and you know what risks, those life 
risks that happen, disability, long-term care, your house burns down, your uh, vacation gets canceled, um, your, you, your, uh, your loved one passes away prematurely and they're the breadwinner for the household. All those kinds of things. If you've identified that those things are important to you, you need to fund those things first and then live on whatever is left. Now, for many people, you have to prioritize a little bit. You may not have the resources to fund all the things you want to fund, but that's the discussion you need to have with yourself and not just go, eh, it's in the checking account. Sure. I can go buy that shiny thing. And uh, we meet... This is not something that happens with the average person. We actually see this as a more having to be more and more of a problem with people with high incomes, where their incomes have gone up, they've gotten raises, they've gotten promotions, and it, life is good. All their friends are uh, driving shiny things, living in shiny things, and uh, you know, gosh, they deserve it. I mean, they've worked so hard. Um, but you do the math on what they're putting into their retirement and there is no bloody way they're going to be able to sustain that lifestyle if they keep up the behavior they're doing. So please, people need to hear this. You need to fund your long-term goals first and then live on the rest and you will be infinitely happier in the long run. Don't spend all your money on the now. Is that another way to say it? It's another way to say it. Yeah. Um, Number three, if you're taking notes, there's a story, and it's it's been now put into multiple versions of this story. So I'll I'll, I'll provide one. There's a a, a a college professor, and he's got a, a stadium style seating in his classroom, in his college classroom, and on his on his island desk that he, he lectures from, there is a very large pickle jar. And he reaches behind the counter and he pulls up and he's got a big basket of very large rocks. And he proceeds to put the rocks into the pickle jar until the pickle jar can no longer receive any large rocks. And he says to the class, is the jar full? And some kids, as you expect in a college class, look around and say nothing and snicker with one another, knowing that this is probably a trick question. And some kids go, yeah, it looks full to me. And some of the kids go, no, it's not full. And so you have this disagreement. And he, he nods and he reaches and he grabs a second basket and he brings it up and it's got smaller rocks. And he proceeds to pour them in and shake the pickle jar until all the small rocks find in their way into the crevices between the large stones. and. And uh, finally, he has all the small rocks in the jar, and it's it's there's no more room for any of those small stones. And he says, "Is it full now?" And of course, now they, they they're starting to get an idea of where this is going, and they say, "Well, of course not. It's, there's got to be room for something else because you're doing this as a presentation, professor." And he says, "He says, yes, you're right." And he pulls out a bowl of sand and proceeds to fill the jar with the sand until there's no more room and he shakes it around so all the air pockets are removed and he says how about now and everybody says okay now it looks pretty full and he, he proceeds to pull out a pitcher of water <laughs> and 
then pours the water and everything settles even further until there's absolutely no more air left in that jar. And he says, now what if you were to start with the water and then go to the sand? Would there be room for all these things in there if you start with the small stuff? And of course the, the answer is there's no way. So if you fill up the jar with water first and then try to put a rock in, there's so, no room. Number three, big rocks first. You need to prioritize your your efforts. You know, we only have so many hours in the day, especially with work and kids and life and all the chores we have to do. If you're gonna sit down and talk, think about your finances a little bit, you're lucky if you get an hour a week to focus on these issues especially when it feels like going to the dentist or you have to do math. I mean, good Lord, that math is horrible. So you need to make sure you're prioritized. And there's lots of ways to think about that, but you need to, you know, generally you want to focus on things that are important to you. You want to focus on things that are potentially a very large impact on your life and not major in the minors. Um, We see that from time to time where Mm -hmm. somebody is just fixated on a a little thing in their account and they have an account somewhere and they have maybe a tiny little bit of their money is in one stock for example and it is just a thorn in their side and it, it just captures their mind and they, they they focus so much energy focusing on something that literally could go to zero and it won't matter in the grand scheme of their life and, and they just really get emotional about about those things and it's just a waste of energy so you need to focus on the big things the big controllable things that kind of thing that's coming up but you need to focus on the big things first don't major in the minors i mean it's a life lesson all all its own but don't you want to major in the majors so put the big rocks in the jar first you'll get some traction you'll have some big impact and then you can kind of go to the next biggest thing that sounds good that sounds good uh the next one um, guideline number four ask until you understand ask until you understand this is a great one when you work with other advisors or as you are doing your own research or even between spouses and other family members as you're looking at implementing a strategy or a solution to solve a financial problem or to plan for a financial goal if you're implementing something you're putting an insurance policy in force you're taking some action in some in in some fashion you've got to understand in general what this thing is so if you're working with an insurance agent for example and they're suggesting a life insurance policy to fund your goal uh, you need to ask questions if you don't understand how that thing works uh, its purpose in your financial plan. If you go home and you're you're not really clear with, uh, well, why is why do is do I have this policy? Well, that's going to make you feel a little uncomfortable. You're not going to have clarity. You're not going to have confidence in what you're doing. And so next year, when that premium comes around again, you're going to be questioning yourself. So, uh, yeah, there was an article. Ask questions. I mean, and it and it really is a, a it's shocking how. You know, we're all kind of geared to jump to conclusions and try it. Let's just get it done, you know, and let's, let's jump to action. You know, 
uh, ready, fire, aim has been said. I've heard that. So, you know, and, we, and we've seen it even lately. There was an article just earlier this week um, in one of the financial publications uh, uh, via their website. And there, there was an article about how in the last three months with this COVID-19 crisis, many, many Americans have uh, sought out to increase how much life insurance they have. Um, but in polling those people who had looked to increase their life insurance, um, 60% of those people weren't really sure how their life insurance even worked. And you want to talk about a dangerous situation. I mean, here you are spending however much money you are on buying a financial instrument piece of insurance and you still don't know what it is or how it's going to affect you or whatever. So um, it's potentially a real problem. So um, don't be afraid to ask what you think is the stupid question. The, the only stupid question you could possibly ask yourself or, uh, or an expert is the question that your ego won't ask. Yeah. Uh, so it, I was just going to say, in addition to understanding you can use this guideline as far uh, to help you with uh, in the household when you're talking with your spouse if your spouse doesn't understand your spouse should be empowered to ask and it's just having that conversation having a back and forth right getting that general knowledge helps you feel more confident and you're able to move forward confidently yeah I was just on a leadership uh, call uh, yesterday and uh, you know, with a, with a Zoom call, like many of us are using these days, and um, and that, that 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 kind of idea came up as well, where you know, a lot of times when you know we're, we're trained to instantly react, someone gives you some information. If that's that information might be good or bad, but if somebody gives you some bad information, you know, our our emotions happen first as we get that in, that information, and our mouths are usually hardwired to our emotions. And the danger there, as you mentioned, you know, as you're dealing with other people is um, if you get some bad news, you want to kind of, the advice that, that we were given on the call is you want to just kind of nod. I hear you. You know, maybe ask a question was the second one. And that just hit right in line with this. You need to ask questions because if you're nodding and somebody gives you bad news, you can ask a question and it gives you a chance for that emotion to kind of subside and stay calm in a, in a situation. And when you're dealing with financial situations, you're going to experience stress from time to time. Sure. And understanding that it's okay. You're going to feel that emotion, but you need to kind of just kind of, even as a physical representation of what's going on, just start nodding your head and then start coming up with questions that you can ask. And as you begin to ask those questions, you'll get the answers. And when you get the answers, you'll calm down, you'll be able to address the situation and then move on. So this isn't just for those planning decisions when everything's calm and everything's fine. Life's going to hit you. The markets are going to happen. World events are going to happen and it's going to affect your finances and you're going to be in stressful situations sometimes having to still deal with these responsibilities. Ask questions until you understand what's going on. Calm down. And then you can take the appropriate action at that point. But it's really important. So be very thorough and don't just go and do something based on your trust with an individual. If you're working with a professional, there's a lot of folks that say, well, it's okay. I mean, they even make parodies of this on some advertisements on television. You know, my advisor just knows about this stuff. And, you know, 
that's commendable that you trust your advisor. That's wonderful. And they're probably trustworthy. Most of them are. But you still kind of ought to understand some things. So if you if we were to give somebody some basic things, you know, I mean, do you really need to understand like how the sausage is made? You don't need to go down the rabbit hole. No. But but all you really need to know is what is this thing I'm about to do? Like at a broad level, do you understand what your life insurance even does? You, like that kind of thing. What is this investment I'm making? What is the plan? You need to understand how does this improve my situation? Is this going to reduce my risk? Is it going to reduce my taxes? Is it going to reduce my expenses? How does it help you? You also need to know the potential risks. What could go wrong? And what are the expenses, I guess, in mind? What are the risks? Yeah. What are the expenses? You need to know those things. And then you ha- need to have an idea of any potential basic tax consequences or tax benefits. From a financial standpoint, it's what is it? How does it improve my situation? What are the potential risks? And what about taxes? If you understand those four things, you're on your way to having a basic understanding of what's going on. And, and I think that's that's probably good enough for most people. If you're doing things yourself, you might need to go a lot deeper. But if you're working with a qualified fiduciary or, or, or a good attorney or a CPA on whatever issue, you're a great mortgage broker, um, as long as you ask those questions and you know a basic level, you can rely on them to handle all the uh, heavy lifting for you. So on the, on the front end, those are those, those, those initial four things are, are really good on the planning side. And then there's, there's four more guidelines that are really helpful on really on an ongoing basis. I mean, just like a way to kind of use as a sounding board for yourself to make sure you stay on track as you're navigating your financial life. So that, that next one is we've titled simple and effective. And, and the reason we bring this up, I mean, everybody wants everything to be simple. I mean, there's, we've met people that have multiple homes, watercraft, high incomes, multiple vacations a year, four kids, extra cars. And they say, I'm just a simple person. I live a simple life. <laughs> and... You know, so we all want to be simple. We all want everything to be simple. And the truth is, you, you don't want life to get overly complicated. Um, we, we, we prefer simplicity as, you know, as human beings. Um, yeah, you say effective because whatever, the, whatever solution you're implementing, you want it to, to get the job done. So if you have two potential solutions in front of you, two potential options to address a financial goal and you're evaluating both of these one is very simple and straightforward and it gets the job done and you have another one your other option is something that's much more complex it has moving parts it has it's something confusing it's confusing you don't quite understand you can't quite explain it to your spouse and it gets the job done when you look when you're faced with those two types of uh, choices between those two types of, um, you know, A and B, lean, choose the simple. And generally, I think most people would would go to the simpler thing. That's just how we're hardwired, um, you know, for a fact. I mean, at the same time, we there are situations where you don't want to be overly simple. 
I mean, there are situations where you have a choice between some one thing that's simple and you have another thing that's simple, like really, really even simpler. It still may not be effective. Right. Don't throw all your money in a checking account, your retirement money. It's super simple. I'm just going to earn all my money, throw it in the checking account. I'm going to earn super my simple. 0.1%. And you know, that may work if you save enough money. Sure. But boy, it, your lifestyle is going to take a hit at those rates of return. Um so yeah, you don't want to you, you want to err towards simplicity where you can. I mean, if you're going to add complexity, and we've had this conversation, if if you're if you're going to add any complexity to your to your financial situation, an extra account, a new legal document, a new in, insurance policy, um, a new investing strategy, whatever it is, if you're going to add some complexity, you want to make sure it's going to be effective and it's going to actually increase value in some way. That exceeds what you want the value to be bigger than the hassle right? of going through that complexity. So you don't want things to be too complex, but you also don't want to be uh, too simplistic. That's right. That was what you had used when we were looking uh, behind the scenes. We were talking about being simplistic. Yeah. We avoid being simplistic. Be simple and effective. Right. So uh, number five, simple and effective. Um if you do that, that'll help you make better decisions in the long run. Um, number six. Focus on controllables. Each of us has only so much money, only so much energy, and so much time. And you can see that all over the world in all areas of life. You can see people that are focused on what they can do. You can you can control your response things you can control your expression on your face um, we can control sending emails asking questions saving our money what are we going to spend on we, we have some things that are within our control and then there's other things out there in the world that we absolutely cannot control and in the financial world there's a long list and you can see all over the TV magazines you know TV, uh, cable TV channels, financial websites. There's a lot of focus on actually things that are completely without, you know, not within their control. The market's going to do what the market's going to do. And we can't control that. Can't and control so, the markets. Uh, spending your energy trying to figure out what is the market going up or is it going down t- today and focusing all of that energy. I mean, you might be a business owner or you have a job. Right. And your job is, and you have a family life, and you want to put your energies toward those other things and not spend your time watching the market. Or, and it's not that your financial planning isn't something you should focus on, it's, it's that you don't want to focus on the parts of the financial world that are completely uncontrollable. You don't want to focus on, on events, you don't want to focus on interest rates. We don't control interest rates, we don't control what the stock market's going to do, no one controls. Um, Global headlines and global events that happen, the weather, natural disasters, I mean, viruses. You know, we have no control over those things. They're they're outside of our control. But where you can make the most of your energy, your money, and your time is to focus on those things that are controllable. Okay, so take an investment account. So you've got a client who's investing. They're putting money away they're saving for retirement right and they are focusing on the markets all the time and uh getting emotional about what's going on 
about various stocks and they're really right. keeping their attention and their eyes focused on the TV screens, what should they be focused on? Some of the things they can control is they can control how much they're funding those accounts. They can control how much risk they're taking in those accounts. To a great extent, the IRS has provided this with all kinds of ways to minimize the taxes that we're paying on interest and dividends and capital gains in those accounts. Um, you can control so what you're the, saying the is... expenses of your accounts, for example. So you, you can focus on those things that are absolutely controllable. Um, and yeah, are there trade-offs out there? Sure. But you, you can focus on those things and achieve a better result than you're focusing on trying to... Uh, focus on return that you don't control. And and our next topic will, will touch on this a little bit as well. But you you just don't want to focus on, you know, what, what do I do because XYZ company had a fire in a major facility this week? Or what's going to be the result of what if this happens? What if that happens? It's It's... It's just a, uh, it's maddening to a point because you get, you can put yourself, if you're focusing on things that you can't control, you can get yourself to a point where you're just living a guessing game. Yeah. And that is no way to live. You, like you said, we only have so much energy and, and, and life to live. You don't want to waste it on things that are completely uncontrollable. And you sure. See, even outside of finance, we see this happening all the time too. Well, I mean, the weather, you, you, yeah. you don't, you can't control if it's going to rain or not. And, uh, you know, we don't know if it's going to rain or not. Uh, right. You just but you can focus. have an umbrella in your car and be prepared. So you can take action. And the focus, the controllable in that situation is, can I have an umbrella in my car? Yeah. You throw the umbrella in the car. So if it rains, you're prepared. You really hit on something that's actually pretty important. You need to have a bias for action. You can control actions. Oh, you have some something you've been putting off? You know what you control? You can take some action toward that issue. You can figure out what your assets are. You can figure out what your goal is. You can try to find that tool that's going to help you calculate that math. You can send an email to an advisor. You can go on a website to try to find a, a good advisor near you. You can do all these things and take some action and move you toward whatever your goal is. If you're trying to get, uh, you're trying to get more fit, you know what you can do? You can put on some shoes and go for a walk. And then tomorrow you can go for a longer walk. And then the third day, you can go and jog a little bit and then walk the rest. And each day, you can improve. It's a choice. So, But none of it happens unless you take the controllable thing. And one of the most controllable things people have is their ability to act. None of, this, none of the good things in life happen without some kind of action. And you need to have a bias for action. So that's one of the most important controllables. But the seventh one, and we kind of were hinting at it a little bit as we were talking about things we control and worrying about outside events. And uh, this was kind of derived as we were having our conversation is when you're doing your planning, when you're doing your investing, when you're figuring out how to prioritize all your things and focus on those big rocks, you need to focus on probabilities this is number seven, probabilities, not prediction. The news, the news is all full of talking heads telling you, here's what's going to happen. And let me assure you, 
nobody knows the future in the short run. Nobody knows. We don't have a magic eight ball. Nobody has a magic eight ball. Nobody does. I don't care how famous you are. I don't care how many best-selling books you've written. I don't care how many times you've been finally right when the news finally agreed with you over time. You do not predict the future. Nobody does. Nobody knows what's going to happen. The absolute best that anyone has is an attempt at understanding the probability of events. And if you are trying to navigate your financial life, this is key. This is key. The reasons I mentioned actuaries in our introduction, you, those actuaries, their job is these are highly competent mathematicians that understand extremely um, complex situations and they know how to calculate these probabilities. They're some of the best people in the world and they get jobs at insurance companies primarily because insurance companies can fulfill their promises specifically because they're accurate at figuring out the probability analysis for things. What's the likelihood that that house is going to burn down? What's the likelihood that car is going to be in a crash with that particular driver? Probabilities are, and we're, there's a whole book that was written on, on our, our relationship with understanding probability and risk, and we'll cover it in this podcast later on. But um, you need to focus on probabilities, not trying to figure out, hey, what's going what's gonna to happen next week? What's the next? What's the best stock that's going to happen tomorrow and is going to have like the greatest news? Hey, uh, is there going to be a recession? Is there not going to be a recession? Is the market going up? Is the market going down? In the short run, nobody knows. Stop wasting your energy. You don't control that. You need to focus on probabilities. It's key. In all probability, you want to make sure that in all probability, whatever you're doing gives you a high likelihood of success in meeting your goals in the long run. But please, stop pretending that people know the future. They just don't. And it's it's just a... Uh, I mean, I understand there's a ratings game out there in the media where if you can get enough people to watch your show, you can sell more advertisements, and that's how you pay your broadcasters, and that's how your publicly traded company that owns your network makes money. And drama sells. So if they can tell you, hey, this is what's going to happen next week, you won't remember whether they were right or wrong because there'll be another person on next week telling you what's going to happen the following week. Or they'll argue and you'll have two people that think exactly the opposite thing. So you're not getting value out of focusing on prediction. Yeah. Uh, The last one, number eight, that we've identified, ask who, not how. Ask who, not how. It, this basically says don't reinvent the wheel. So when you are considering taking action in your financial plan, uh, sometimes there are things that need to happen, but you don't have any expertise or knowledge in how to get it done. And so rather than asking the how question and going to the library or doing research to figure out how to draft your own trust, for example, Ask who instead. Consider asking who instead and find that attorney who does that very thing that you're hoping to accomplish. Even though there's a fee for those services, it's well worth the fee uh, because your time is valuable. And uh, these professionals are, you know, they're highly competent and can get the job done for you. Yeah, it's, it's a... Um 
you know, no one of us is as smart as all of us. You know, you and I found that. I mean, we're both competent at our job. We both are experienced at our job. And we've found that two of us was better than either one of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. In, in, in working as a team. And we found that to be a true. And there's no reason that everybody else can't have their own team. You might have a team where you only bring a player onto your team temporarily. You might hire a mortgage broker to help you out with a mortgage. Um, and they may know things you don't. They may have found shortcuts to save you time that you don't know about. I mean, you, you deal with an expert, it's usually, a lot of it comes down to time savings. I mean, eventually, you can figure out how to do something, just about anything. But do you really want to put that much effort into getting to that level when you can simply say, hey, how do I do this? And somebody says, oh, you just do that. Right, right. You know. For me, I'm not mechanically inclined. So if it comes to uh, installing a light switch, I'm not going to play with the electricity in my house. I need to call an electrician to get that job done. Could you learn how to do it yourself eventually? Yes, I can, sure. but I'm, that's not my comfort level. 14,000 YouTube uh, videos later and uh, you know, 85,000 trips to Ace Hardware. That's you'd be, right. You'd be just fine. <laughs> um, but there's another layer to it, too, that is ask who, not how. It's not just finding an expert. A lot of times you can leverage technology and make life really, really faster, easier, cheaper, better by leveraging technology. And so we say ask who, not how. You're going to do something. You're thinking about making a decision. You're not sure how to get something done. Say, I wonder if somebody's already figured this out. Maybe they have. Ah, For my own situation like that, I, I use QuickBooks. And uh, I was a slow adopter at using QuickBooks at home for my personal finances. And it took a little while for me to figure out that I could actually have my transactions from my credit cards be downloaded directly into uh, QuickBooks. Yeah. And uh, I was doing it by hand and taking, sometimes it would take an hour to mm -hmm. go through my expenses every weekend. Uh, but having that ability to download, I just took, it was automatically done. I took no time. Right. I just figured out how to do it. Um, it. There was a learning curve on the front end, but afterwards it made, you know, balancing my checkbook and yeah, planning even my in own our own practice, finances. We've, seen, we've, we've leveraged technology dozens of times, uh, many now on a daily basis where we're levering technology to, to make life simpler, easier, cheaper, better, more effective, um, at, at solving problems that we, we have. So there's just solutions out there. Um, don't be afraid to uh, seek out an expert or seek out a technology solution to save you time because, uh, you know, back to those controllables, you've only got so so much energy, you only have so much money, you only have so much time in this life. So uh, you know, do what you can and, uh, and take advantage of that. So those are the eight. Those are the eight guidelines. You're going to see them. Uh, you know, people are going to be talking about them over and over and over again uh, it's a great litmus test for any financial decision is to just hold up your situation to those eight guidelines and make sure you've done them um, you want to move on to some Q&A we got a couple questions yeah we've received we've, we've noticed there's a lot of, there's some uh, Q&A we're both we're both pretty active on social media there's some uh, you know there's 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 uh, discussion forums on investments out there and 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 uh, been pretty active, especially in the last like six or seven months on social media to, uh, I guess, to get a lay of the land and understand what, what people are actually thinking. I mean, we were, it's really easy to 
fall into a situation where we're only dealing with uh, our own clients and our own families and friends and we, we get an idea that we and I think most people are guilty of this is that you have you, you live your life and you interact with who you interact with and you may get a you may get an inaccurate picture of what you, you may think. find you live in a bubble. You're living in a bubble and you're not, you don't realize there's something bigger and different happening. Yeah. Out there. You may get an inaccurate view of what you, of what average is. You know, I, I've met people who think they live an average life, that they're an average normal family and they're in the top 2% in America in income and lifestyle. And it's, just not the case they're not average and um, and and getting it into a place where we can interact with you know, literally thousands of people has been a real eye-opening experience and we, we've we've identified probably some of the most common questions um, and we'll touch on a few of them today and then we'll obviously hope to uh, you know hopefully people will get back to us and say uh, hey what about this I have a question I have a, what about this question and, and, and send us and interact with us on social media for those but yeah, I think this is a great i this is a great forum, this podcasting forum, so that when we identify questions that we see our clients asking a lot, we can bring this out there in this format. Right. Or if we're seeing uh, podcast posts, or um, I'm sorry, uh, social media posts, uh, it, this is a great way for us to kind of identify questions that appear to be out there, and then you know everybody's welcome to reach out to us directly ask questions and we can do our best to answer those questions. Right. I'd say um, I'm going to touch on three of them here. I'll just go in order of some of the more common ones we've seen, at least on social media. For those people who are uh, beginners, um, it's not uncommon to see someone uh, approach a, a group and say, I'm just getting started. I know nothing. How do I get started? And they'll ask like a really broad, broad question. I mean, it's a tough question when it's that broad. Um, because a specific question is much easier to answer. Um, but if I can give, uh, just a couple of basic, basic places they might consider going to, there's a couple of, uh, resources on the internet that might help. So probably the best place to begin your understanding of the, at least the investment world, especially dealing with financial professionals is, or just understanding it different financial products on the investment side is uh, a website from the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC has a website for investors. It's called investor.gov. If you go to that website, there are resources to help you understand and get oriented to what is a stock, what is a bond, what is a mutual fund, those kinds of things, as well as what are the various types of financial professionals out there, how might they get compensated? What are the questions I need to ask people when I meet with them? Um, what are the things, you know, just basic stuff to get people oriented to that investing side of things. It seems to be the most complicated thing that creates the most confusion with people is, is some of the language and the vocabulary there. And investor.gov is probably one of the best resources for that. That's more of an educational tool. It's not right. sponsored by any kind of financial institution that has... An agenda to try to sell a product. Yeah, that's why it's my favorite. Um, I mean, the SEC is the regulatory authority for all things investing, so it's it's a really it's a credible resource 
uh, for people to get uh, accurate information on on the basics. And uh, I mean, I, I would recommend that anybody you could be you could be a deca millionaire and you still might learn something on there. You might have you know you could also be a brand new beginner just getting started and uh, get on there and get oriented. Uh, it's just a really really uh, safe place to start and you don't have to worry about is this accurate are these people licensed is this uh, what are they trying to sell me you don't have to register for anything you don't have to watch 50 million YouTube videos from some person out there that claims that they're awesome at this at whatever they're doing you're going straight to the source of the rulemaking body and I think you're going to get more accurate information if you start with investor.com the other thing is um, if you're getting started, the, the next question that comes up is how do I find an advisor? And you know, there's a million answers to this question. You could ask your friends for good referrals. You can ask around, and, and that's oftentimes an effective thing. Uh, what you'll find is almost anybody that has an advisor that they've had for more than three years, you know what? They're happy with their advisor. So that's a little bit more challenging because almost everybody who's had somebody for four or five years likes their advisor. Otherwise, they would have fired them. <laughs> So it, referrals are helpful, um, but also another way is uh, there's some uh, organizations out there. There's the CFP board that has a search tool on their website for all certified financial planner professionals. There's the Investments and Wealth Institute that has uh, other professionals and a, and a search list in there for different professionals. Um, for people like us, for registered investment advisors that are independent, um, Charles Schwab has a site. And it's, uh, for, forgive me, this is a long website, so if you're taking notes, the website is findyourindependentadvisor. That's advisor with an O-R at the end. So it's findyourindependentadvisor.com. And if you go to that website, um, there are thousands of independent advisors that work with Charles Schwab, and there is nothing but there but a zip code search. So at least last time I was there, I looked. So if you go there, type in your zip code, you'll get a list of the people near you, and then you can go from there and give you a short list. So those are all people that act as fiduciaries. They typically will uh, be compensated by fees, and, uh, and that's one way to potentially get started. Um, the other real common question is about uh, learning. People will ask, Hey, what are some books, websites, YouTube videos, etc., that can help me learn? And um, we'll cover a lot of the books on episodes of this podcast for sure. And there's, there's, we have some favorites, and we're going to be doing those in the in the coming weeks. Um, as I mentioned, Investor.gov is a great resource as well. Um, on social media, there are uh, on Facebook in particular, there are. Um, there are groups focused on various topics and there, some of them are public, some of them are private. And if you join those groups, you can get into a discussion with other people like you who might have similar questions and they can ask those questions and maybe share ideas, resources, and answers that they've received. Occasionally you'll have experts in those groups to provide uh, guidance. You know, Dan, you and I have our own uh, group that we administer and, uh, and then we're active in other groups as well. So that's, that's out there as a resource as well. If you're one of the people that likes to have conversations with other people like yourself, that's a potential resource. Um, as far as 
YouTube videos, that's really never been a, a source of information for me as a professional. Um, I know it's obviously very, very popular that people like to watch video content. And it's a, it's an easy thing you can to watch a video. You don't have to read. Uh, you can be doing something else and listen to the video and, and, and multitask a little bit. So I, I certainly appreciate that. Um, what I've seen, at least, in the types of YouTube videos that often get shared is, uh, at least on social media, is many times it's not a licensed professional. It may just be somebody who is really good on video at communicating. It may be somebody that maybe had some success in something and they're just sharing their idea or their thoughts on something, but that's not that different than asking your neighbor. Right. I found that they're, they're marketing a book or they're marketing an investment strategy or they're doing something right. where you need to subscribe right. to a, a subscription of some sort or purchase a book. Right. So if you're going to use YouTube, um, you know, our strong recommendation is focus on content from reputable, licensed, registered professionals or expert you know, companies that are it's their professional content that's been uh, that's been it's, it's regulated by the SEC or the state or the Financial Regulatory Authority FINRA. You just want to make sure that you're getting uh, good information from people that are actually qualified to provide it. Um, you know, you want you want to get content from people that do this for a living um, or do whatever they do for a living. So if you're going to ask about taxes, you probably should be talking to a CPA. Or if you're on YouTube, get content that's from an actual CPA and then confirm that they actually have their license too. Is there some people that are pretending out there? So you gotta be careful with that. Got it. So I guess one last way to say it is if you're looking at a YouTube video, take, spend a, a moment and identify the source of the information. Where's hundred percent. Okay. That third question you're about to ask, this is one that's intriguing. What's the best blank? What's the best investment? What's the best insurance policy? What's the best solution? Most common Google search in the world. Yes. What's the best cell phone? What's the best car to buy this year? What are the top 10 whatever for 2020? It's clickbait. And it's it, it's all ingrained in this now that we're such Google searching fanatics. Is that, yeah, How do I find information? I just go on Google and I say, what's the best? The challenge with this question is when you're talking about your financial life, your financial planning, you are so unique that there is no objective best for you. It's kind of like going to, it's kind of like walking into a doctor's office and while you're in the lobby saying, what's the best treatment for me? Before they take your temperature, <laughs> before they check your heartbeat, look in your ears, look in your eyes, say ah, all that stuff. They haven't taken a blood test. They haven't done an MRI or an x-ray. They have no idea who you are. And because they have no idea who you are, they do not even remotely know what the best treatment might be for you. It's not the best question. You don't say what's the best. The, the truth is, is that if you want to know what the best situation solver solution is for you in your situation with your particular financial goal, here's what you need to know. 
you need to know that whatever your solution is, it needs to be perfectly aligned with your goals, whatever they may be. That's number one. It needs to be aligned with your risk tolerance or limitations or preferences. And the third thing is, is that you need to be able to do the math on that situation and understand focusing on, again, focusing on probabilities, not prediction. That solution needs to provide you, whether it's a strategy or a product or an insurance policy or whatever, it needs to provide you with a high likelihood of success, regardless of outside situations like, like geopolitics or the weather or viruses. So if you're about to ask what's the best investment, don't uh, rephrase your question and ask what's the best investment for me? And the answer needs to focus on these things. And and, and you need to provide that context because if you go and ask, ask a bunch of people or experts or, or uh, if you're on some Facebook group for investing and you say, Hey, what's the best stock to buy right now for me? You better, you really ought to consider providing a lot more context at least so people can answer your question. Well, how long is, how long from now is the goal? What's the goal? How big is the goal? What are you trying to accomplish? What's your risk tolerance? Um, what are your preferences and biases? You know, uh, I prefer individual stocks under $4 per share. That's important to know if that's your preference. Or I just want to get the results. You know, I'm, I'm okay with whatever. I just want to get the best results with the least amount of risk. I'm, co- I'm okay with being diversified. Um, my goal is 25 years out. I need to have this much saved. I'm currently saving this much. What's a strategy that's going to get me there with a high probability of success while taking X amount of risk? I mean, that goes back to know yourself. You need to know what's going on in order to ask good questions. So uh, before you go say, hey, what's the best? Uh, You need to know a lot about your goals. You need to know a lot about your tolerances, your preferences, your biases. And then you need to know a lot about probability. And maybe the person that answers your question needs to know a lot more about probability. But they should be able to convey to you. So if you go to an expert and say, hey, what's my probability of success if I execute this strategy? They're not going to be able to predict the future any more than anyone else can. But at least with some historical context, they need to be able to show you, hey, in these various situations with this level of uncertainty, here's here's what the probability is of success. And that's really as, as good as the software has gotten, at least in our world, from a financial planning standpoint. You can actually kind of show and take into account uncertainty with those things. But, uh, but, but the best strategy is aligned with you. And it may be totally wrong for your neighbor. And yet, a lot of people will go neighbor to neighbor and say, so what have you been investing with lately? Right. <laughs> and... Uh, your neighbor may be totally different from you. Or, hey, what kind of insurance did you get? I mean, you're not buying a car here. This is like a, a, a very unique, special thing if you're doing your own financial planning. It's unique to you. So um, the best thing is, is perfect for you, and it may be completely wrong for somebody else. Just please be aware of that if you're asking and thinking those terms, what's the best? Cool. So, I guess getting back to that medical uh, scenario that you were just describing, if you were asking my neighbor what's the best medicine for their ailment and they say penicillin Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the best medicine i'm allergic to penicillin so it penicillin certainly isn't Mm -hmm. 
um, a solution for me. I can't take penicillin. So just as an example, what is the best, quote, um, investment? What is the best blank? That's a dangerous question to ask, and it's something that will derail your efforts to create a successful financial plan for yourself. If you have a high self-image and a high level of, uh, of a confidence in yourself and a great sense of humor, try walking into uh, your local hardware store. And uh, when you're approached by one of the people that work there, just walk right up to them and say, what's the best tool for me? And see how they respond. And you can imagine, hmm. you know, they're going to ask you some questions, right? Yeah. So just take that into account. So, um, I think we got to the end of this first episode here, I, Brian. I, I think we have. So, um, you know, everyone, thanks again so much for listening. Um, to our first episode, we've got uh, others coming, and I uh, hope you'll tune into those as well. Um, you can find Dan and I on uh, social media. Um, you can find us at Fierce Fiduciary on Twitter, on Instagram, or Facebook. Feel free to communicate with us that way. Um, you can also find us personally on the social interwebs, to use some some people's phrase. Um I'm Brian C. Beasley on most social media. Uh, Dan Albert, that's A-L-B-E-R-T-H. Albert, A-L-B as in boy, E-R-T as in Tom, H as in Henry. And uh, you're on... Uh, I'm on Facebook. Facebook. Are you on LinkedIn too? Or? Uh, I'm in LinkedIn okay. as well, yes. Okay, so you can find us on social media. Please give us feedback. Please give us questions. Uh, comments, cheap shots, anything that would uh, help us make this podcast better and more enjoyable for you. Um, just want to do a special shout out on this uh, first episode to uh, Jocko Willink and Gary Vaynerchuk, also known as Gary V, on uh, social media just for the inspiration to even try podcasting. That's something that we had not considered, and uh, and they were absolutely instrumental in uh, in inspiring us and encouraging us to do that, even virtually, although we don't know them personally yet. Um, but lastly, thanks again so much for listening. Until next time.